Section 1 of Mostly Boys Short Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Therese. Mostly Boys Short Stories by Francis J. Finnish J. The Wager of Gerald O'Rourke A Christmas Story. 1. It was five minutes after nine on the morning of December 23rd, when a small boy, with an expression akin to the pathetic upon his smug features, entered the second academic classroom of Marquette College, Milwaukee, and handed his teacher this note. 9.04 a.m. Gerald O'Rourke. Late. Please admit. A. Mosher, S.J. Mr. Lawton read this communication with a frown. He was impatient of latecomers, as are all earnest teachers. His frown quickly disappeared, however, as a grin at once cheerful and deprecating came upon Gerald's upturned face. "'Don't mind it this time, sir. I was up late last night practicing the Christmas Mass, and Mama couldn't get me up this morning. I've got to stay after class for Father Mosher, anyhow.' And then Gerald's face, which had grown gloomy as he recalled his after-class engagement with the Reverend Prefect of Discipline, lighted up with a smile as he caught the teacher's assumed expression of delight at this announcement. With a cheerfulness that expressed itself even unto levity in his walk, he went to his seat beside Maurice Desmond, and, giving that young classmate a stealthy but sharp dig in the ribs, he unstrapped his books and prepared himself for the labor of the day. "'Are you kept in?' whispered Maurice, as he brought his head below the lid of his desk, and simulated quest of a penholder. Sure. Maurice grinned, and was about to duck his head again, when he noticed that Mr. Lawton was taking an exaggerated interest in his movements. Maurice grew very solemn and attentive. Having in a very short time thus regained the confidence of his teacher, he slowly and surreptitiously composed the following note. Dear Gerald, I'll bet you one pair of beads that you'll be late for the four o'clock Christmas Mass. Maurice Desmond Gerald, after the consumption of much time and patience, answered, Dear Maurice, I take your bet and go you one more pair that I call at your house and wake you up at 3.15 Christmas morning. Gerald O'Rourke, Esquire. Half an hour elapsed before Maurice had succeeded in penning this delectable answer. Gerald O'Rourke, Esquire. You're out of your senses, you old sleepy head, but I'll take you anyhow. You'll say those two pair of beads Christmas Day, and don't you forget it either. Yours, the Honorable Maurice Desmond, LLD. At this stage of the communications, Mr. Lawton broke in. Gerald and Maurice, bring me those papers. And thus ended the correspondence. 2. There may be heavier sleepers in this world than Gerald O'Rourke, but if so, they are unknown to the present writer. Not that his sleepiness came upon him at early nightfall. Oh, no! He was wont to tease his mother when nine o'clock, the appointed hour, came to let him stay up, just a little longer. Mama was quite indulgent to her eloquent little darling, and it not infrequently happened that Gerald wheedled his way to half-past ten of the night. On the following day, of course, Mrs. O'Rourke had a giant's task to bring the youngster out of the land of Nod. Sometimes it was a matter of fifteen or twenty minutes. 
when then mrs o'rourke on christmas eve heard from the lips of her sanguine son the account of his wager with maurice she smiled you foolish boy why didn't you content yourself with the first bet i'm quite sure we shall be able to get you over to the church by four o'clock but if i want to have you out so as to call maurice at half-past three i shall have to get you up at midnight and i can't afford to do that my dear you don't have to mamma cried the eager child don't you think i'm able to get up by myself decidedly not well i'll fool every one of you don't you remember our class picnic last june when we all had to be at the college at seven o'clock sharp and wasn't i up at six and didn't i wake you and papa and uncle edward who got up so mad and offered to throw his big shoes at me you just wait mamma and see picnics are a different thing my dear you were so in love with the idea of spending a day out in the country and by the shore of lake michigan that you were too excited to sleep soundly besides it was warm and pleasant weather but think of getting up at three to-morrow in the dark and the cold and of getting out into the freezing air singing at mass is not precisely a picnic but mamma i am going to sing the solo part of the adeste fidelis at the offertory and if i were late our choir director would have a right to be disgusted he's taken such pains with me and then too i want to make a good holy communion and and i've got a plan to get up at three o'clock sharp what is that gerald asked his father why i'm a-going to have my alarm clock set to go off at three o'clock sharp and at this stage of gerald's plan his father mother uncle and two sisters broke into laughter the idea that any alarm clock could produce the least effect on gerald once he was asleep struck them as being exquisitely ridiculous uncle edward clothed this idea in words if you were to stack your room from floor to ceiling with alarm clocks and if you had the biggest kind of an alarm clock for a bolster and if all these alarm clocks were i don't say to go off but to explode at three o'clock to-morrow morning i am willing to bet anything i own that you'd snooze right along till your mother got at you again the laugh arose gerald was in a hopeless minority huh snarled gerald confound you girls you see gerald chose to shower his wrath upon his sisters who to tell the truth were loudest in their merriment huh i will be up and he added with striking inconsequence i can dress six times over while you two are combing and pinning and banging your hair then changing his tone the orator addressed himself to the grown-up members of his family you needn't think that i'm trusting to that alarm clock alone that's only part of the plan indeed let's hear the other parts chuckled uncle edward i er i got it from my teacher you see he knows all about that bet because he captured the notes about it and could hardly keep from laughing when he read em well he said just set your alarm clock for three and ask the souls in purgatory to see to it that you hear it go off if you promise in turn to do something for them they'll be pretty sure to take care of you and i've done it too and i'll be up on time to-morrow as sure as what were you going to observe asked uncle edward gerald had been on the point of saying as sure as shooting but there was in the family what he considered a prejudice against boyish slang and so at a loss for some less commonplace expression he paused 
unable to conclude his peroration. "'But what was it you promised?' continued Uncle Edward. "'Say, Ma, I want to get a piece of bread and butter, please. I'm almost starving,' cried Gerald, as he hurried from the room, feeling that he had already said too much. Like many a good, pious Catholic boy, he was, while over Frank in general, somewhat reticent in regard to his devotions, and in his joyous little breast was enshrined many a pretty little practice of piety about which even his mother knew nothing. However, before retiring, he communicated to her that should he win his bet, he was going to give a dollar out of his Christmas money to the poor for the benefit of the suffering souls. Mrs. O'Rourke kissed him. "'And say, Mama, what are we going to have for dinner tomorrow?' This was his last question. But it was not his last thought, for Gerald made it a point on the eve of a communion day to try to think of nothing, once he was snug in bed, but the blessed sacrament, and he actually succeeded in this, though I am bound to say that he seldom lay awake for more than four or five minutes. On this blessed night he had just put his mind into this pious frame, when there came a sharp knock at his door, followed by the entrance of his father. "'Why, Papa, did I forget to bid you good-night?' "'No, Gerald, but you needn't look so surprised. I've just one word to say to you. I like your plan very much. You want the souls in purgatory to do you a favor. Now I'm in trouble, Gerald, and perhaps they may help me, too. Tomorrow I want you to pray for me at Holy Communion, and you must try to get the holy souls interested in my case.' I'm going to leave ten dollars in your coat pocket to add to your one dollar, which your mother told me about. It's all I can afford at present, perhaps more than I can afford. Don't tell anyone what I've said to you. Your mother is the only one who knows my trouble. Oh, Papa, is that why she looked as if she'd been crying? Her eyes were red this evening. She did cry at first, Gerald, but she is brave, and so will you be, my boy, if I lose my place. "'What?' cried Gerald, sitting bolt upright in his bed. "'Is Mr. Bush going to get another business manager?' "'I fear so, Gerald. He told me today that great pressure is being brought to bear upon him by a number of capitalists interested in the company to put in another man. He has no complaint against me, but he fears that he will have to give in.' "'Why? Hasn't he got the say of it himself, Papa?' "'Yes, but then he's a weak man in some things.' and he's afraid of losing his popularity with the members of a certain secret society to which he belongs. I wish he were braver. As it stands, it is now next to certain that I shall lose my place at the end of this year. So pray, pray hard, my boy, and don't fail to get the holy souls interested, too. Good night. And with a smile and a kiss, Mr. O'Rourke left the room. Gerald lay awake for full fifteen minutes after this interview, and you may be sure he did not lie idle. Prayers that come from the heart and idleness live far apart. 3. You're out of sorts, Henry, Mrs. Bush remarked to her husband toward sundown of the same day. So I am, Margaret. I don't feel at all well in body, and besides, I'm distressed about a business matter. I'm afraid I shall be obliged to get a new business manager. What? Discharge Mr. O'Rourke? Why, you used to say he was the best and longest-sighted businessman you ever met, and that he was worth far more than his six thousand a year. I say so yet. By rights he should have eight or ten thousand. 
but instead of thinking of raising his salary i'm worried night and day by word and by letter to replace him with a john landon landon has many wondrous advantages over o'rourke added mr bush in bitter sarcasm in the first place landon is not a catholic and in the second he belongs to at least five secret societies in one of them he is several degrees above me it was a sad day for you henry when you joined that society no it wasn't it brought me business yes but it took away your religion not at all margaret i'm a catholic and what's more i'll die a catholic in the meantime henry couldn't you manage to live one for answer mr bush gave a growl and took up the evening paper tomorrow my dear is christmas won't you please promise to come to mass with me the children are all praying so earnestly they are sure that they are to be heard this time it's fifteen years nearly since you entered a church come dear promise there were tears in mrs bush's eyes as she spoke and a perceptible trembling in her voice mr bush was moved he was now growing gray and age was telling upon his health for a moment he pondered the request and as he pondered a sharp pain shot through his head i'm too worried just now margaret some other christmas i'll go yet but henry how can you promise yourself another christmas margaret margaret he cried rising impatiently from his chair tossing the evening paper upon a table and putting his hands to his head for god's sake don't worry me i am wretched the poor good lady had unwittingly jarred upon her husband's feelings all that day had the thought of death pursued him and he had built his heaven upon this earth mr bush was a millionaire many times over when a young man he had been a practical catholic but business and gain had gradually drawn him away from his religious practices till he had become content with fulfilling his easter duty then had come the allurement of a secret society against this temptation he held out for some time but unfortunately for him at this period of trial there arose an unpleasantness between him and his parish priest mr bush was in the wrong yet in a fit of passion he joined the secret society and his place in church knew him no more at supper time that evening his little daughter said papa won't you please take me to mass to-morrow all the children as laura spoke looked earnestly at their father i can't my little one i'm not well and mr bush not without emotion saw the signs of bitter disappointment upon their young faces there must have been something wrong about that novena of ours growled harry a classmate of gerald's mary the eldest of the three sisters motioned to him to be quiet oh i guess i can talk a little pursued the undaunted youth at least papa you ought to come and hear the singing i'm in the chorus myself but i'm nothing extra gerald o'rourke's the boy he's got a voice like an angel only angels don't play tricks you just ought to hear him you'd be willing to go out and die gerald's one of the nicest boys in milwaukee a heap nicer than i am i like him immensely say papa i'm going to bring him home with me tomorrow i'm sure you'd like to talk to him you haven't seen him now for almost a year he's nicer than ever whatever else you do roared mr bush bringing down his fist on the table and scowling fiercely 
don't bring that boy near this house i don't want to see him and to the consternation of all mr bush hurried from the room he was very ill and very wretched poor millionaire the children some hours later were sleeping peacefully when mr bush entered the large room devoted to laura and edith and mary they had very long stockings these little mites which were carefully pinned to the mantle over the fireplace prominent among the bric-a-brac on the mantelpiece stood a statue of the sacred heart mr bush dropped a shining yellow coin into each stocking one of which fell to the floor he picked it up carefully and not finding the pin caught hold of the statue with the intention of using it as a weight to hold the stocking in place there was a letter an open letter under the statue mr bush adjusted his glasses and read dear babe of bethlehem a merry christmas to you it will surely be merry to you if people love you who do not love you now it will be very merry to us if papa comes to mass with us oh he's such a good papa we are sure you would like him if you knew him better now please get papa to come to mass i have made the nine first fridays all for papa and we're sure that papa will come to mass and we're going to give all the money that papa drops in our stockings to a priest to put flowers on the altar when we get up on christmas dear babe of bethlehem we expect that this letter will not be here that is to be the sign that papa will go to mass on christmas day with much love dear babe of bethlehem we are your dear little ones mary i'm ten and i wrote this letter by myself edith she's eight laura she's six after some moments of irresolution mr bush put this letter in his pocket and with swimming eyes turned to leave the room he stopped on the threshold passed his hands through his hair groaned and with an expression of extreme misery returned to place the letter where he had found it he departed very ill very unhappy tossing restlessly he got no wink of sleep that night poor millionaire four whirr gerald leaped from his bed and into his knickerbockers before the clock had quite finished with its noisy christmas greeting in an incredibly short space of time he had completed his tarlet and was out in the cold biting air of the city it was very dark and gloomy and gerald felt tempted to return to his bed but he shook off the feeling at once and turned his attention to what his father had told him the night before i do hope that my toes will ache and that my hands will get chapped and that my ears will pain me like everything and i offer it all up for the holy souls and if any of them get to heaven on account of a cold little boy i hope they'll remember to pay it back to his papa saying which the merry-faced ascetic as he skipped along with unmistakable signs of levity removed his gloves and his earmuffs and beyond devoutly wishing that it were colder paid no attention to the biting blast after walking several squares he stopped at a street corner and peered through the darkness at the shadowy outlines of a large house does maurice live on eighteenth or seventeenth street i can't remember yes that's the house i'm sure and recklessly tramping over the lawn so beloved of milwaukee people gerald tripped up the stone steps put his finger to the electric button and held it there quite tranquilly while the bell tinkled away as though it would never stop it had been tinkling for something over sixty seconds 
when gerald heard heavy footsteps upon the staircase within and in some inexplicable way gerald caught that in their fall which gave him reason to believe that they were the footsteps of a very angry man and he took his finger off the electric button when the door was thrown open with a bang gerald gasped in horror for there glaring at him fiercely fully dressed spectacles on nose fire in his eye stood mr bush you little rascal roared the victim of insomnia and dyspepsia and an uneasy conscience as he saw the dim shape of a small boy standing in the doorway you little rascal what do you mean by your infernal noise at this time of the night answer me at once what do you want gerald gasped shivered and was within a little of sinking down upon the threshold in his agony finally in desperation and with a determined effort he blurted forth mister what did you get in your stocking footnote these words and the incident connected with them are facts related without the change of a single circumstance End of footnote. and then he dashed down the steps in a manner that would have brought instant death to anyone who was not a small boy realizing as he fled into the darkness that mr bush had recognized him by his voice and feeling certain that his father's hopes frail as they had been were now completely shattered for some moments mr bush stood stock still then clapping his hands together and taking his overcoat from the rack he too went out into the darkness five the offertory of the early christmas mass had come the organ played a few soft strains of the adesti fidelis and gerald standing in the choir by his friend maurice whom he actually had awakened before half-past three trilled forth that sweetest and grandest of hymns his voice clear and firm filled the church with its liquid sweetness but as he came to the words venite adoremus it trembled quivered faltered and softened so rarely that gentleness love and pathos seemed to have found perfect expression in his wondrous notes and on the concluding words dominum it dissolved in a musical sigh or sob of reverential awe thus it seemed to the listeners and many an eye filled and many a heart was exalted in unwanted tenderness but no one in the church had the least conception of what had brought out this prodigal wealth of pathos and love and awe this is the fact of the matter as gerald came to the verse beginning with venite adoremus his eye chanced to wander among the worshippers and there almost immediately before him sat mr bush his spectacled eyes bent full upon the soloist gerald was at once seized with nervous dread he could scarcely go on but he struggled bravely and thus it came about that his nervousness produced an effect at once so beautiful and so rare that mr bush took out his handkerchief and rubbed his eyes for full five minutes mr bush's presence surprised gerald very much he knew that the millionaire was not a churchgoer on the other hand mr bush was surprised himself acting upon impulse he had left his house acting upon impulse an impulse of grace you may be sure he had entered the church and now how beautiful it all seemed the singing the lights the solemn ceremonial there at the altar as celebrant stood father h mr bush's former parish priest how venerable he looked and as after the communion this kindly-faced old man turned to say a few words to his congregation words of peace of love of goodwill 
Mr. Bush took out his handkerchief again. When Gerald had concluded his thanksgiving, and, accompanied by Maurice, was tripping down the front steps of the church, he saw Mr. Bush advancing towards him. To Maurice's astonishment, Gerald took one, two flying leaps, and dashed down the street at full speed. "'What's the matter with Gerald O'Rourke?' asked Mr. Bush, not a little astonished. "'He's all right—oh, I beg your pardon, sir,' answered Maurice. "'He's not all right. I really believe he's going crazy, sir.' He never acted that way in church before. Merry Christmas, sir. Thank you, thank you. Same to you. Look here, my boy, would you do me a favor? Certainly, sir. Go to Father H. in the sacristy, and tell him there's a man in his confessional waiting to see him. Tell him it's an old friend that he hasn't seen for over fourteen years, who wants to go to Holy Communion right away. All right, sir. Maurice was turning away. Hold on, another thing. My name is Bush. Do you know where I live? Of course I do. You live on 18th, and I live on 17th and State Streets, and our houses look almost like twins, and that's why Gerald O'Rourke missed my house this morning and went to yours. He told me about it, sir, and he's nearly scared to death. I used to think that Gerald didn't know what fear meant. Very good. Now I begin to understand. Well, go to my house, please, and give my wife this message. Tell her I've been to Mass, and I'm now going to Holy Communion. Tell her also to go up to our little girl's room, and to take away the letter that she will find under the statue of the Sacred Heart on the mantelpiece, to read it, and then lock it up in my desk, without letting the little darlings, girls, I mean, know anything about it. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Repeat, said Mr. Bush sententiously. A few minutes later, Maurice, having summoned Father H. from the sacristy, was racing along the street as though bound on a message of life and death. 6. Oh! screamed Edith, dancing barefoot upon the carpet. What? What? cried Mary. It's gone! The letter! The infant Jesus has read it! Then Mrs. Bush, her face beaming and tears of happiness in her eyes, entered and kissed her little ones and when they told her of how the letter had been taken away by the little babe of Bethlehem, she kissed them again, and left the room to conceal her emotion. Mr. Bush presently entered, and it was hard to believe that this cheerful, happy, radiant man had passed a night without a moment's sleep. He was still romping with the little ones and listening for the hundredth time to the story of the letter when there came a ring at the doorbell. "'Say, Papa,' cried Harry Bush. Gerald O'Rourke's here and says he wants to see you. Bring him here at once. Gerald entered, pale and nervous. He had come to apologize, to brave, poor little hero, the lion in his den. But before he could open his mouth, Mr. Bush sprang forward and caught him in his arms. It's all right, Gerald. You needn't explain. It was the right doorbell. Tell me the whole story, my boy, and I'll promise you a bit of good news. Well, you see, sir, I'm an awful heavy sleeper, began Gerald, very much astonished and delighted. And still, I made a bet that I'd wake Maurice Desmond up for the four o'clock mass. Then I got the souls in purgatory interested in waking me up, and maybe they didn't get me out. And then, sir, when I came to your house by mistake and found myself facing you, I felt just dead certain that it was all up with my father. Of course, you can't expect the holy soul to do everything. 
It's easy enough to rout a small boy out of bed, but it's harder to keep a man in a good position when everyone's against him, sir, and— Oh, my, I've let it out. What were you good enough to let out, sir? Why, I promised Papa to say nothing about it to anyone, and here I've gone and blabbed it the first chance I got. Gerald O'Rourke, said Mr. Bush, you're a smart boy, but you don't know it all. Now, sir, it was the holy souls sent you ringing at my bell. And the babe of Bethlehem, added Edith. If you hadn't rung that bell, I should not have gone to church, and if I hadn't gone to church, your father would have lost his place. But now tell him this. He shall stay in his position as long as I live, and, he added in a whisper to his wife, from the first of January next he shall get the salary he deserves. And, Gerald, I owe the holy soul something, too. Tell your father that, if he can make it convenient, I should like to go round with him this afternoon and help him distribute that ten dollars, plus my share. When Gerald reached the foot of the steps, he broke into a run, which promised to outdistance his record of the early morning. And so Gerald was happy, and his father was happy, and his family was happy, and Mr. Bush and his family were happy, and many a poor man was happy, and, best of all, I doubt not that many a poor, suffering soul winged its flight that day to heaven, all on account of a harmless little wager of which everyone came out winner. End of section one.